Taylor. Josh. Do you know who that was? What well, that, that was? That was the Jeopardy theme song. Yeah, that was Final Jeopardy music. You know why I'm playing that today? I assume uh, to honor the memory of Alex Trebek. Yes. Well, let me open. There's a lot to talk about this week. Yeah. And we're going to talk about all of it eventually. We are. Um, but I speak a lot publicly, as you do. You do speak a lot publicly. Well, yes, certainly. And I, I Instagrammed this yesterday. There are certain voices that I realized were very important to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. And his is unique because he wasn't prescribing anything ever. And even the way Tom Broca, another fellow RMList who just was supposed to give us the news, but right. certainly had a voice and gave editorials. Right. But, um, you know, there was uh, something very familiar and right about his voice to me. Yeah. Well, I do think it's there's something to be said for um, the consistency of it. You know, I think, yeah. I, th- I think I said this yesterday when we were talking about talking about it after church. But um, something about his consistency is sort of Mr. Rogers like, which I think is funny because I saw a lot of clips and a lot of stories yesterday of people saying that like um, he would sometimes be like, oh, uh, that's a stupid question. And so like it wasn't always that he was like so sweet or saccharine or nice but that he wasn't ever like he was not mean he was just like you know willing to be like um that's a silly thing you said which i think is great you know but he always said it kindly in an even-keeled way and um and that he was just always there that his presence was there and that he was a presence in the lives of so many people yeah, I think that clip of the guy, the guy recently talking about how he learned to speak English by watching Jeopardy, and mm. then then he won money very recently, and it's very sweet. Yeah, and the thing I had mentioned to you yesterday is, and I had mentioned Jean Venier, who was a beloved art community founder, and then after his death, posthumously we found out there was some scandal. Uh, some sexual assault which is just yeah. heartbreaking my comment then was it just it seems like there's so few people that make it all the way with a career intact yeah um i think similarly for me one thing we have discovered acutely recently mm-hmm. in the last four years is that a baseline model for public discourse for the sake of normalcy is so incredibly important mm-hmm. and that's something he did really well mm-hmm. and could do neutrally yeah um and sort of subtly offer each individual he encountered the the dignity of their humanity yeah and um i really like that about him Mm -hmm. um because he wasn't like a cultural commentator or anything like that no uh but for me he just was really important yeah and teaching me how to speak publicly yeah yeah so i that was he was a big one for me bigger than i think most people just because of who i am yeah like you know you had rbg yeah well certainly yeah Um, And I think that uh, there's something to be said. You know, uh, this is just like when I was homesick from school, you know, Jeffrey always came on after. um, Felt like a friend. Yeah, yeah. And so it just felt like. Oh, Alex is here. Very comfortable, very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if they'll replace him or was that show going to be done now? I don't know. His last episodes apparently are airing in late December, just after Christmas or on Christmas maybe. And so then I feel like that's a normal time to take a break. And then I wonder what the decision will be. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. It's sort of like when um, Drew Carey took over The Price is Right. Yeah. From Bob Hope. That Barker. Bob Barker, excuse me. That's fine. And uh, it just is like, it felt kind of weird. I mean, at this point, it works itself out, you know? Yeah. But we'll see what happens. Um, okay. okay, now I will say this. One thing that has puzzled me, because, you know, after people die, there is lots of, well, we know because of Myra Rose, people say lots of things about you. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, one thing that's been very confusing me, so Father James Martin, who is a uh, Catholic voice I really like on Twitter, mm-hmm. he was talking about Trebek's relationship with faith, Catholic faith, and oh. did a thing at Fordham last year, I guess, uh-huh. which that's great. I love that. Yeah. I'm like 100% sure in that interview he did with Michael Strahan, either last fall, spring, early, or fall, that he talked about being basically agnostic and not knowing what happens after death and not having belief. But I could be wrong. Hmm. I don't know. I don't remember seeing any of that. So well, I, I tried that. to go back and find the full clip from the Michael Strahan interview, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, what a great guy, though. Maybe it's one of those things where, like, you imagined it. Yeah. 
Well, what do you want to do next? You want to do television? Yeah. Okay, I have an observation to make. Okay. Uh, first, we'll start with uh, the Shit's Creek. Okay. Um, this is a earmuffs moment because it's a spades moment I want to describe. Okay. So but I, I figured something out about the show. Okay. So season four, so if you're not that far, about episode eight, um, David and Patrick are on the rocks. Yeah. Um, on the rocks? Yeah. What do you mean? That I think, isn't that a term to describe like the relationship is shaky? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that happened. Don't you remember that? Um, so Patrick, we find out, is engaged to somebody that, okay. that okay. Alexis invites to a barbecue. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you're with me now. Yeah. So David takes a week. Him and Stevie go to this honeymoon thing, and yes. it's hilarious because, yeah, all those times. And they come back. And then um, the way that David secures their reuniting is he lip syncs Tina oh. Turner's, um, what is that song called? The Best. Simply the Best. Simply the Best. Yeah. And here's what I realized in this moment. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, what Daniel Levy mm-hmm. has done in television for the LGBTQ community yeah. in um, presenting a relationship without any kind of homophobia and yeah. just a really beautiful relationship has been astounding. Yeah. Or even really commentary. Like yes. it just is like, here are these two people, they are in love with right. each other. Right. And I, I was thinking last night as I was watching this, l- let's take the fact that it's an LGBTQ relationship out of it. In television, it is just so hard to create and sustain meaningful relationships yeah. of a romantic kind. Yeah. Um, there's certain genres that lend that, themselves to that better than others. Sure. So that's a feed in of itself. Uh-huh. Like one of the amazing things about The Office is that without too much conflict, after season three, they sustain Pam and Jim's relationship in a really beautiful, seemingly normal way. Yeah. And then there's the championship of relationships in television, which I still think is um, Julie and or Tammy and... Um, Taylor's from Friday Night Lights. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course. What's his, what Coach and Tammy, what's his name? Uh, coach Taylor. Tammy is. Taylor, Coach Taylor, yes. Eric Taylor. Eric Taylor. Isn't his name just Coach? Yeah. That to me is like, they, they in a drama, they've yeah. mastered it. Yeah. But um, that's what that relationship is. It just feels so natural and fun and healthy yeah. and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also true of the show. Like those characters feel that way. Yeah. And there's a real evolution in all of them. Well, they grow to be that way, right? Yeah. Which I'm going to jump around because we'll get back to the West Wing. Mm-hmm. But this is such a great natural transition to um, reviews. Okay. Because we did have okay. some, some new, new reviews. reviews this week, yes, which we want to talk about and give shout outs. But I'm going to start with, with Aaron Hill because okay. I literally got done watching that scene where Michael sings, um, and not Michael, where David sings Simply the Best. Yeah. And then I went to look at our... I'm trying to find our show on my phone so I can pull this up. Oh, okay. So you watched that scene. Yeah. Then I opened up my phone and I wanted to see our reviews. And so Erin Hill... Yeah. Guess what her review title is. Who's very excellent. Yes. Um, is it Simply the Best? Simply the Best, period. Better than all, dot, 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 ellipsis. That's because of the song. Oh, my gosh. And so it was a real, according to Julia, um, not Julia Andrews, Julia, my book I'm reading for my uh-huh. formation group, she talks a lot, a lot about synchronicity uh-huh. and how these things come to us in the universe. Mm-hmm. Boom. There it was. One moment to the next moment. So, Erin Hill, thank you so much. Yeah. Here's what she yeah. said. Julie, the only thing I look forward to on Mondays. Y'all want <laughs> Be friends with Taylor and Josh Amelie so that you can be cool like them. I'll tell you one one more thing about Erin Hill. Uh, yeah. Erin Hill, I'm on the Twitters, and uh, I see she's got a tweet that has gone viral. She went viral last week. Yeah, yeah. she did. And you know, as an Enneagram three, mm-hmm. I was so pretty jealous. So jealous. <laughs> like I'm not talking like 2003. We're talking. What she finish it like 120 thousand? Something like that. The last time likes? I looked, 120 thousand. Yeah. Wow. I know. Yeah, I would have felt like I'd arrived. I would have just. Put that number on my CV, circled it, and <laughs> said, okay, I've arrived. Now, whatever I do in life is not as important anymore. I told Kathleen, you know, I'm private on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I told Kathleen that it makes me really sad because one of the things about being private on Twitter, which is I'm private on Twitter for a bunch of reasons, but one of the things that's true about being private on Twitter is it means I can never go viral. And she laughed at me really hard because she was like, yeah, that's like assuming. <laughs> That you would go viral if you weren't <laughs> private on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think it's as easy as we think. <laughs> Speaking of viral, I will say this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did this week was create a TikTok uh-huh. video. I had an account. Uh-huh. I, I, I logged in to watch it. Now I created one. Mm-hmm. And um, I have discovered, I don't know that I would say virility is much easily achieved in there. 
but it's like a community of sharing for sure. Yeah. By the way, like let's go back to episode one of this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a deeper dive into that um, Gen Gen Z, Z millennial and like mm-hmm. oh okay yeah like there's such a chasm of understanding between I get now why they're all like forget Facebook and they're not on there anymore. Yeah. That's very apparent to me now. They because. have this whole other world I didn't know about uh-huh. and it's thriving. And I was thinking about like the Tulsa rally and how they pulled that. I'm like, oh, that makes total sense uh-huh. how they were able to do this. It's right. a real force to be reckoned with. Because they have this other platform through which to Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of virility. Okay. Um, is that the right word? It's viral. Virality, maybe? Vira- okay, yeah, virility really is. Yeah, I think that's like the sexual. Um, something about. Yeah. yeah. Okay, virality. Sure, let's call it that. Okay, uh, is that um, Kara Beth Wagstaff? I think mm-hmm. I said that right from our church. Uh-huh. Champion foster mom. She yeah. has 15,000 followers. On ma- TikTok? Yeah, and I'm like, maybe everybody does, but she's like a no, baller. No, not everybody does. Okay, well that's, and then um, the other person, I have like two people that I follow, because I don't know anything about TikTok and I can't figure it out, <laughs> but um, uh, Amanda Braddock, she has like 5,000 followers. Yes, that happened because she tweeted something about med school, and she got a bunch of followers on Twitter as well. I think, Amanda, correct us if we're wrong. If so it's, it's, there's a brand, you can, you can kind of like brand yourself as, I'm, a, I'm the med person on TikTok. I did watch one of her videos and she was like answering medical school questions. Mm-hmm. So is that a thing? If you like pick a shtick, you can be that person on TikTok? Yes, definitely. So there's already dads on TikTok. And some people have like their personality is their brand kind of. Yeah, know? I need to find a personality to brand. <laughs> I really thought my video was going to do it because it's like, it's like, oh, look at this. This Zennial building something. That's what they did. They were uh-huh. with power tools. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, there's a bunch of people out there with power tools. Oh, that's already been done. Oh, yeah. There's well, people building stuff. What's not been done on TikTok? I don't know if that's... Are, is, has religion got on TikTok already? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Dang it. And, like, progressive Christianity really is on there being, like... Okay. Answering questions when people are, like, asking about, you know, Okay. What? Well, so there's nothing left. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, as with all things, and maybe this is a good lesson for an Enneagram 3... The best thing you have to offer the world is your truest self, Josh. Well, I tried that, and I got like nine followers. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep it the tic-tac. Let's return to our reviews, because we're so, so, so grateful for them. Yes. Um, my, my friend, she's actually probably Lindsay's friend, and more than that, her daughter is Mabel's friend, oh. the Reverend Sarah Elsie. I think I figured oh, yeah. this out. Sarah E. Rev. Mom. That's got to okay. be Sarah. They, you know, she went to the Truitts. Yeah. And she jumped denominational ship. She's oh. with the Methodists right now. I've been hired well, out the in Methodists the Arkansas. Are much kinder to women. <laughs> yeah, um, she's a great preacher. I'm a little um, bummed I didn't get to see her in the flesh here and um, mm. way before they took off. But yeah. she reviewed us. New listener here. I can tell I'm going to like it when the media references are on point, and they definitely are here. Ooh. Love the dynamic between Taylor Josh. Thank you, Sarah Elsie. Thank we you are so grateful. much. We appreciate it. Okay. Third one, very special individual to us. Yeah. One of the women women who can fire us both. <laughs> yeah. We're assuming that Kathy JK22 is Kathy Cry. Yeah, of course. Um, first reviewer to have a biological relative featured on our show. That's true. Oh, my her, gosh. Her son is our chief NBA analysis, yeah. Elliot. So Kathy says, good stuff. Every episode I'm dialoguing in my head with Taylor and Josh. Okay. And sometimes even out loud in my car, keep it up. <laughs> Kathy's so funny. That gives me a great source of pride to think that Kathy would talk out loud about us in the car while yes. she's listening. Thank she's you. She's so smart. Listen. Yeah. And she can fire us. Yeah. <laughs> um, that too. Okay. Wait. So, go ahead. I want to go back to Shit's Creek really fast. Good, because I have another Shit's Creek thing. Okay, great. The scene you were talking about earlier uh-huh. with Dan Levy, uh-huh. he um, said he originally, in his mind, when he conceived of the scene, it was a joke. It was funny. Like, it was, like, a funny thing. Oh, but it was so beautiful. I know. And he said it was then, like, silent when he was doing it on the set. And also that he um, got drunk before. Not drunk, but, like, he... um, Little liquid courage to pull that off. Yeah, uh-huh. And he was then nervous because, uh, well, because he was a little drunk and trying to do that scene. Um, And uh, he... um, And then it was, like, silent when he was doing it. And, it, you know, it wasn't like people weren't stifling laughter or anything. And so he thought it was really bad. Hmm. Like Isn't that he, interesting? He thought he'd done it wrong because people weren't laughing. And he didn't realize it was that what it had turned into was this, like, really beautiful moment of, yeah. like, them and that relationship sort of, 
moving into a, onto a different level. And, you know, it just is, it's such a beautiful moment. So I love that story because he was like, everyone was like crying and I was convinced I'd done it wrong. Hmm. And that would be an interesting thing to watch because everybody knows it's fiction, but whatever he's doing is so moving that yeah. it evoked a real emotional response from everyone. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder if, if that, even that point, cause I watched this thing with whoever plays Stevie, whoever plays Patrick and Dan Levy. No. Uh-huh. And, um, what's her name? The Alexis, her actress name, um, her real name. They were on stage talking about, it was like at some award show mm-hmm. about Dan creating this, um, no homophobic kind of television relationship that really was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there was a growing sense of that, that early on in the series that this is, this is really helpful. This is going to be a cultural piece that lasts into the future. Well, say what you said yesterday about friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, this is a shout out to Brie because me and her were both talking about this yesterday. We both saw a TikTok that said that shit's what shit's Creek is doing right now for, for white people <laughs> is what it said. Because like white people need the education. Well, and also because friends was a very white people thing. It's a show about white. people. Oh, meaning not everybody's having this experience right now, sure. but okay. White people for you. It uh-huh. is okay. Right. And so what shit's Creek is doing right now is what friends did in the nineties. And it was mostly talking about vocabulary, which is to say that now I might say something like, you know, if I have a friend and they, spill their drink and it gets everywhere i might say could you be any more clumsy and no one would think about chandler bang and no one would think about friends and no one would be like oh my gosh that's a reference to the show friends it just like has become a part of our yeah um cultural sort of vocabulary and so it was this was talking about how you know in 2060 or whatever we'll probably be saying things like i love that journey for you and we won't be thinking about Alexis Rose, and we won't be thinking about Shit's Creek. It's just going to become part of the culture, um, and I'm hoping also then that some of the more loving, beautiful elements of the show might also become more like mm. just a part of our culture as well. Yeah, because that's the one thing I will say about Friends is maybe what it normalized is like single suburban life. But I don't think well, there's not like suburban. They lived in New York. City. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. What do you call that? Urban life. Urban life. Um, but that I don't think that there's like much lo- like lasting commentary culturally. And it wasn't shooting for that when it did that. Right. Of course. No, um, not at all. And like Seinfeld didn't do that either. No. Um, but this might. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So there you go. Hey, I do have one last thing about Shit's Creek. Okay. This is going to feel very vulnerable. Okay. So I love impressions. Okay. I don't do impressions. Okay. Um, I um, I tried this in front of my sister, uh-huh. and I, I really thought it was going to be received better than it was. <laughs> okay. But I think I have a Johnny Rose impression. Oh, do you? Do you think you want to hear it on air? Um. Yeah. Well, what if I don't like it though? Or you can be honest. Like okay. Critique it like for what it is. Okay. Okay. Give me a scenario that I have to speak back to in my Johnny Rose voice. Oh, I'm not good at that. Um. What just like uh, something at the restaurant? Maybe like what, sure. would, what would you like to eat? Um, okay, what's her name? Twyla. Twyla. Well, Twyla, oh, well, tell me about this uh, grilled cheese sandwich here. Looks like it's new on the menu, and I think Alexis and David, you might like to try this, don't you? Think we should give it a, a try before we just tell her over here that we don't like the uh, Moira. What do you think? <laughs> okay, I would give it. I think it's like a B plus A minus territory. Oh, okay. Like um, you laughed, I'll take it. I think you I was think that a painful. I'm embarrassed for you laugh, or is no. that a? I think the well, you know what? It was more, and this is all. Um, what are they called? What you just did? Impression or impersonations? All impersonations are different, you know, and some of them are like a spot on. Like yeah. this is exactly what this person sounds like, mm-hmm. and some of them are more sort of like impre- an impressionistic yeah. type situation. Okay. And I think uh, the speech pattern you were using was like definitely spot on, Johnny. Okay, Rose. but the actual inflection of tone wasn't was, there. Was like, yeah, maybe why it's like you know okay. a, a B plus as opposed to uh, an a okay. plus or something. Well, um, I, I watched um, Cecily. <laughs> People enjoy listening to us talk about your. I would love that. I would. I would love to see somebody fail. <laughs> you didn't fail. Well, yeah, that's right. I didn't fail. I give you no, your blood. your point about impersonations taken. I was watching Cecily Strong on. Um, Who's the Seth Meyers? Uh-huh. And she was doing Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she, she 
recognizing confessions. Like I don't actually say much and I don't impersonate him very well, but my it was her facial movements with uh-huh. stroking the imaginary beard yeah. that really sold it. Yeah. And you you need to be able to see that sometimes to yeah. make it work. That's true. That's true. Well, thanks for enduring all things. I'm going to keep working on Johnny Rose. Please, yes. Okay. Um, we we have to go to the West Wing now. Yes, let's. Well, I'll tell you what. Okay. Um, I've had an evolution of I think what I think between the West Wing and 1999, which I'm just stunned. Yeah. Now that I know that the first season was 1999, that this is what was being said, yeah. and then the the current state of political affairs. How often they're they're just dead right on. Well, do you know what it reminds me of? What. Um, we both watched this summer Miss is Mrs. America. Yeah. And it is crazy to me the conversations they were having about like basic universal income, which is a thing that like I thought Right. We invented. We invented like <laughs> recently. Yeah. And um it's like in the seventies they were talking about this stuff. And it reminded me of the way, you know, I be- I am trying to sort of understand more in my life, like patterns and seasons and rhythms and it's like there's nothing new under the sun type thing, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, they were talking about this stuff and the world was in a much more progressive place before like, you know, you've got Ronald Reagan in the White House and stuff like that. Um, so, can I tell you something funny about that show? Uh, and my Hail Marys to celebrities to try and get them to be on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. I reached out to uh, Margot Martindale, who is nominated for her role as Bella Asbug. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Well, I didn't get a response, but sure. I just thought, man, still, you know, I'm not going to get Rose Byrne. Right. But maybe. Let's try there, actually. Well, okay. Swing or, um, I would like to try, not Rose Byrne. Um, oh, man, I can't think of her name. She's about to be Nurse Ratchet in one of those TV shows. She was like the, she's Phyllis Schlafly's friend. Yeah, um, I know you're talking about. Was she also in, oh, it'll come to me, I was worth thinking. Yeah, yeah, I would love to get her. Though. I think she's a big deal. She is a big deal. She's so famous. I'm so frustrated with myself for not thinking of her name off the top of my head. Yeah. I would love to get her. But anyways. Well, Matt just lost any chance we had of getting her because we can't think of her name. <laughs> we can't think of her name. Oh, Sarah. Paulson. Sarah, Sarah Paulson. Paulson. We know your name. Sarah Paulson. And. Uh, yeah, I would love to get Sarah Paulson. She, um, but anyways, that was a tangent from the West Wing. So you're just constantly amazed. I also reached out to Janelle Maloney. That's Donna. Oh my gosh. I love Janelle Maloney. Because she only has 96, um. Instagram friends, but I think that's because she keeps people out. My my friend request is pending. Oh, okay. But yeah, gosh, wouldn't that be she... great to get Donna? Yes, I love Donna. Yeah, so here's the thing. So I just watched the episode um, Josh uh, and interviewed the guy who was going to be the assistant secretary, attorney general, and he was African-American, and uh-huh. they're talking about reparations the whole time. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, yeah, Tennessee Coates came up with this last year. Mm, nope, that no. was... <laughs> This has been around since. Reparations? That's been around since. Well, the the specific vernacular we're using to talk about it today. Oh, in sure. terms of how that would be achieved. Right. And the, the way we navigate that conversation. Right. Like, oh, nope, that was all around in 99. I also think I would have wholeheartedly rejected the show in 1999 really? as liberal propaganda if I had tried to watch it then. You know what's surprising to me is that, so part of the reason I'd never seen it until I was an adult is neither of my parents watched it. But my parents, it would have been right up to their alley. I yeah. don't, I have no clue why they didn't watch it, except I guess like DVR and stuff didn't really exist, and they weren't raising like. And it was Friday night. Three children. Do yeah, it, I, I can't even comprehend the world anymore where we depended on watching TV live. Yeah. How do we do that? I don't know. How did anybody see anything? Right. We recorded stuff on, on like, VCR. Yeah, yeah, and like watched it grainy an hour later. Yeah. If we couldn't be there, and then we got frustrated because the timer on the VCR didn't work. <laughs> we recorded the wrong thing or the wrong channel. <sighs> Uh, well, I just have one last thing before we break for commercials, okay. and that is this. Um, you know, we listen to all of our podcasts to review them and to think yeah. about them and learn from them. I really have to re- recommend to people that you listen to this on speed at least one and a half. <laughs> we think we sound so much smarter <laughs> when you listen to it on speed one and a half. Yeah, like Aaron Sorkin wrote for us. Yeah, like we are yeah. on an Aaron Sorkin show. <laughs> but I, yeah, I listen to all my podcasts at one and a half, mm-hmm. some of them too. Yeah. Um, the only one I can is my presidential podcast because I love to like, get the nitty gritty details yeah, there and I need to slow down. But we think we will sound better and you will have a better experience if you can listen to this podcast at speed one and a half. I have actually heard some people tell me we already talk too fast to speed us up. Um, hey, one more thing. Okay. Give us a house update. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So um, I got a contract for my house today. I'm going to talk through it with the realtor and um, and then... Potentially next week, I'll be in, what is it called? I don't know. The closing date, once we sign the contract, which we have not done yet for the record, 
the closing date will be something like December 7th. So I might have a house pretty soon. Very exciting. That's crazy. You deserve a house. Thank you. I mean, I live in a house. That's Well, great. you deserve everyone, to keep the house. Everyone deserves room. a house. I, I would love to keep the house I'm in currently. So yeah. I'm excited about that potential to do that and to own a house. We should start a GoFundMe for your mortgage. Oh my God. If somebody did that, I would love it very much. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's not necessary. Um, but also... Many things are not necessary, but they are good. So if somebody out there wants to organize that, that's fine. Just kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, but so, uh, yeah. So I'm really excited. It seems really plausible. I'm trying to be, you know, someone who makes mature, responsible financial decisions. Well, and you could charge um, Kathleen the full amount of the mortgage's rent. The full amount of the mortgage's rent. That's what I would do. That's probably what I am going to charge Kathleen and you know she's a grad student so i'm sure she can pay hey, it take advantage of those pell grants and those student loans yeah that's what i'll tell her to do so <laughs> talk about making mature responsible financial decisions <laughs> all right well we need to hear from our sponsors we'll be back with you in just a minute taylor have you ever felt like bummer my teens never win games yes just like um all day on saturday i felt that way oh really who well, Baylor lost, and then yesterday the Cowboys lost. Oh, I'm, but the Cowboys almost beat the Steelers, and that was like the best team maybe versus the worst team. This feels like a trick. Anyways, well, do I have good news for you? There's an organization that has won nine world championships and four Super Bowls, and they're taking new fans. Cool. The Green Bay Packers. Come be no. part of a. Tra- <laughs> come be part of a tradition that boasts Lambeau Field voted best stadium by ESPN and a coach that they named the Super Bowl trophy after Vince Lombardi. No. The Packers won the first two Super Bowls and since 1992 have had a Pro Bowl quarterback under center. That's to say nothing of the greats like Don Hudson, Ray Nitschke, or Reggie White. Then there's even Bart Starr, a name synonymous with football. So if your team is in the crapper or you're just looking to start a new winning tradition in your house, cheer for the Green Bay Packers. No. Taylor, have you ever thought, boy, I wish I was a better person? Yes. (laughs) low-hanging fruit there with that question huh (laughs) well is there a program that can help me get there i hope so well i have great news for you now there is the baylor school of social work is now offering bas in social work and a a msw and even a phd i didn't know that till i talked to our good friend Bree childs today did you know that i didn't know that well guess what you can do with your count or your baylor degree what you could be a counselor a hospital social worker a family advocate a community organizer or even be involved in policy making at the state and federal levels wow do you want to know what my favorite part of the Baylor School of Social Work is, though? What? The faculty. Yeah. I'll tell you, in a world without a global pandemic, I'd head over there just to knock on a few doors and chat with stellar people I like. <laughs> and Taylor, mm-hmm. do you know what author Alice Walker, Martin Short, and Brene Brown all have in common? They graduated from the Baylor School of Social Work. No, close, though. They do have social worker degrees. Woo-hoo. You think the color of purple gets written without a class in trauma loss in mourning? I don't think so. I love the color purple. You think that the three amigos exist without a class and practice in communities? I don't think so. So if you're looking to make great films, write great novels, or change the world in a positive way, consider applying to the Baylor School of Social Work. Yeah. And we're back. Thank you, Baylor School of Social Work and the Green Bay Packers for partnering with us to bring you this episode today. Yeah, thanks so much to those two institutions who definitely know about our podcast they do man are they're gonna know once they get tagged on instagram (laughs) hey um here's the thing yeah if if people were just listening to that weekend roundup they were probably feeling like we were pretty tone deaf by the end of it because you know we didn't mention it at all (laughs) we didn't mention the election there was an election last week yeah right after our conversation with holly laurent last monday yeah we went to the polls and numbers record numbers yeah all americans did last uh tuesday and then we came up with a kind of convoluted situation that's still unpacking itself and will likely go to the court system. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes of that right now, we will join the majority of major media and say we have elected a new president, Joseph Biden. We know that everyone was really waiting with him. <laughs> yeah. What What are they going to say at, over it? It was either this or. Yeah, they were really waiting for us to okay, call it. Now I'm going to color my map blue. Nevada, <laughs> give me the blue pencil. They called it. The pundits over at the either it was this or desk have now reported Joe Biden. That's probably going to be the mute button on Trump's Twitter account is our our uh, prediction here. Yeah, for sure. 
Ooh, wow, man, I was that was a good one. I liked that. So anyhow, uh, I, you and I, let's be honest, we have gotten the boxing ring of, of emotional ideas pretty yeah. intensely the last 24 hours. Yeah. Trying to think about what to do at this moment. Yeah. And I'm even now that we're recording live here, not even sure what exactly we're going to steer it for. Yeah. We have some themes. We do. And we want to unpack them. Yeah. And we want us to be honest. Yeah. And you to get to be honest. Yeah, and you, you can, to get to be you honest. You can lower the star ratings if you want after your yeah, review. Absolutely. You Maybe you'll hate us. Yeah. So let's try it. Okay. Um, let's go for it. But you're going to need to go first. Okay. That's fine. I think one of the things I felt um, particularly compelled to talk about is, um, you know, the things I feel responsible for in the light of these election results. And, you know, I think it's good to sort of look back and think about the things you're responsible for, you know, and how those responsibilities change every so often and uh, what you feel compelled to do uh, based on the things you believe and um so i think that was the thing that i was particularly interested in talking about especially because you know we have um the data we received is i I think was disappointing for a lot of people in different ways and that of course you know every election you have a winner and so you'll have people who are upset because their person that they voted for didn't win um which is like a normal human reaction to something like that um And then I think, but I think also, you know, I saw um, Van Jones at one point calling, uh, you know, sort of saying that, like, in particular, what it seemed Democrats were looking for was not just a political victory, but a moral victory, which is to say, like, a repudiation of the things that Trumpism standed for, and that that's not what happened. That's certainly not the data that the country provided. And you're making that judgment, Van Jones is making that judgment based on the vote counts in places. Yes. Okay, that's what we mean by the, the data. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he said that very early on, which was to say that, like, it certainly wasn't a landslide by anybody's estimation, especially because it took, you know, it took several days to get um, a sort of final tally or what we are at this point assuming is a final tally. And um, I think there were a lot of Democrats out there who wanted it to be, like, a pretty immediate sense that Joe Biden was everybody's candidate and who most people wanted to win. And I'm not, I just don't know that that's, that certainly isn't what happened. You know, the sort of what we came out with instead, the results that we perceived are that we have a country that is sort of um, deeply divided and that there are a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump, right? Over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, and then also 75 million people that voted for Joe Biden. And so... Well, and to complicate just the hyperbolic nature of those true statements, mm-hmm. you know, people are saying Joe Biden has gotten the most votes of a president ever, mm-hmm. but the person to get the second most votes ever... Was Donald Trump in, in this, this election. election. Yeah. Yeah. So record and turnout everywhere. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, record turnout everywhere. And, you know, I think I feel... I feel more compelled than ever that what my duty is, is to work for reconciliation. Um, Obviously, that's what we're always working for as Christians. But in that work, in working for reconciliation, it's like I need to educate myself. I need to work on becoming a better ally because I want to be able to explain to people in ways that are um, palatable and understandable uh, why so much of what I, what so much of what I perceived um, over the last four years was dangerous and harmful um, to so many people who are oppressed um, and so many different people of color, people uh, who are a part of the LGBTQ community, and um, um, people you know who are poor or who have less power, who have access to less funds. Um, why I found some of the like legislation that happened so distasteful and how to me, this is of course my own personal political opinion uh, or personal opinion that like, um, uh, you know, that I am hopeful that we can now spend time lifting those people up and why I think as a Christian, I feel called to do those things. You know what I mean? I want to be able to have language to do that in a way that unites people and not in a way that further divides people. Um, And, you know, I think it's important for me to say that 
always my number one priority is always going to be like lifting up people who have experienced depression using the privilege that I have to center their voices to make sure that they're heard um that's always going to be my number one priority but of course you know sort of like I've said many times on this podcast I think that all humans are created in the image of God and so my ultimate goal is to create unity but the way that I think is most important like the most important thing to me when I'm going about doing that is to create unity through like lifting up people who um, maybe have experienced oppression or have less access to power than other people do but so I want to become the type of person who can create unity via those like methods and it's like it has become very clear to me that that is the thing I need to be able to do because we have such division and also I find it so important that we have to start creating justice um, by any means you know by all means mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to decide how I want to respond uh, and it's kind of up to like what do we actually want the podcast episode to be about let me say this just so there's not i don't want people to have a sense that we're bsing them so we both voted for joe biden we did um we can tell you that we can also say that you know as pastors we don't get to use our platform to endorse people no um so that's not a prescription that's just i would rather have you guys know honestly if you didn't know and uh, alongside of our votes whatever they may be in every election we as christians all of us get Mm -hmm. to speak pretty openly and should about policy Yes. Um, especially when it comes to the conflict, as we see it, is the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So here's my question, though. Um, I think what's going to be hard, and I'm thinking of folks who are in situations where they have loved ones with whom they vehemently disagree. Sure. Um, there, I can think of ways to frame the story going forth where you could act on Christian principles that would yield wildly different response in your response to those people whom you love in your life. Okay. Ranging from cutting them out and the spirit of Jesus turning over tables in the temple mm-hmm. to, um, you know, Jesus rebukes Peter. Jesus, Jesus is not afraid to be angry. Right. And Jesus is uncompromising in his mission of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is this other thing where, you know, you see very much forgive your enemies. Um, Jesus pulls in a zealot on his team and he pulls in a tax collector mm-hmm. on his team. The ideological opposites right. of the first century. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the reason I'm bringing this all up is because it is an interesting moment in history now where, um, you know, Christian or not, like the, the future of the country is on the line in a very, feels to me, uh, I can't find my word, fraught. What, mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, it feels fragile. Yeah. And I don't want to be overdramatic. Sure. But um, so I think one of the conflicts I'm seeing within voices on the left, but this would apply to anybody trying to gain this discussion is how to approach this language of unity versus justice right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and c- c- can you pursue both of those things at the same time, or does one need to come at the expense of the other? Right. Yeah. I think that's a fair characterization of what is happening. Do you want me to answer that question? Not if you don't want to. Uh, that, that, well, to be honest, listeners, that's what you and I have been throwing back and forth yeah. in different terms pretty I don't want to say it vehemently because that and, and well, seems to suggest we've been having with, very honest conversations. Yeah, and we never are mad at each other for it, but no. we're not parsing words either, mincing no, words. We don't really have to. Yeah, that's right. not really something we have to do. Yeah, I think for me, what has become clear um, <clears throat> is that uh, to the most, like to the furth- furthest most extent that I can, pursuing justice with kindness um, is uh, the number one, like, is my number one priority and what I hope to be the number one priority of everyone who um, who is, you know... I mean, I would hope that all of our leaders, that would be the thing that they are looking to do, is to pursue justice with kindness. And I think, and you know, maybe this is a thing I'm particularly used to thinking about all the time because of my personality, but I am always, I'm just, <laughs> the, when you hear people describe Enneagram 2s and like the amount of time that we spend thinking about the way that we are perceived by other people, um, it sounds insane. 
Uh, but it's like I just spend all of my time thinking about how I am perceived by other people. Not now. I'm a healthier person than I was. But um, And so sometimes I think that has stopped me from saying something to someone like, the thing you're doing is racist. Or that system that you are gleaning privilege from is a racist system and you need to work to tear it down and the decision that I have made over the past few days is that like I can no longer avoid saying those things and actually the thing I had to decide within myself is that it is not unkind to say that to someone you know because the fact of the matter is I think racism tears apart our souls I don't think it is good for us to be racist or engage in racist systems and so to say to someone, and this is the thing that, my, like, that I have to check within myself. It can't be because I want to make someone look bad. It can't be because I want to tear someone down. It has to be because I am working for justice and because I care for that person. And I care that they aren't engaging in racist and they aren't gleaning privilege and not using it to work for justice or that they aren't being hateful and racist. Because I care for that person, because I believe they are created in the image of God, I have to say those things. I have to let them know. And of course, they don't have to, I also have to decide that like, um, their reception of that doesn't, is not determinative. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like a lot of things we've talked about. Like, I don't know that I have the right to speak that into everyone's life. Um, but for the people that I do have the right to speak it into their life, it is important that I say it. And it is important that I say it no matter what their response is. Not because I'm trying to hurt them or upset them, but because I care about them and because I care about justice. I have to say these things and explain these things that are happening in the world and why it is important to fight against them. Yeah. Um, I was making notes after each thing you said, and then it was like five things. And now yeah, I don't know. It was, I was all good. I mean, you answered the question and, um, I appreciate that. So the thing you said at the end was, I think helpful and I need to do it. You, you insinuate, I need to say that regardless of what, what the, the yeah. response will be. Yeah. And you also pointed out that the range of people where that can be a meaningful exchange is maybe a little more narrow than we like to acknowledge. Yeah. That, I think, is very important to me. Not because anybody needs my permission to say whatever to anybody, but I'm just thinking, as I always do, in terms of what can really cause change, yeah. that seems to be. So let me ask you this. One thing we mentioned yesterday, and um, you know, we, we talked about the prophets. Yeah, and, yeah. And how um, you know, they have very important voices in telling the biblical story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, take a step back, my problem, always my problem is a future-oriented, results-driven human being yeah. is what's going to be the outcome. And yeah. getting there before I even survey the present mm-hmm. and saying, okay, I have this goal. I want to help the people I think I love get to this goal. Mm-hmm. I think I know what the agenda should be. How can we get there? So um, like the prophets, one thing it always, and I have a New Testament example too. Right. Well, Jesus, he was crucified. Right. But they, you know, the, the prophets... Well, he reached his goal eventually. Yeah. The whole resurrection thing, really. <laughs> but the prophets all died, and they died right. miserable. Right. Um, Jeremiah, maybe the most salient example, is getting dragged out of a city he loves. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, I think it's so important to tell the truth. Yeah. But, like, I want to answer this question. If we're just going to tell the truth so it's on the record, and that's all it ever gets to do, like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a really, like, okay, to contextualize it. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me offer my New Testament example. Okay. So, like, everybody idealizes Acts 22, 42 through 45. They share everything together. They live in common. Oh, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. Well, guess what? If I could use expletives on the show, I would. A few months later, Paul's out asking for money because that project failed. So that's yeah. not ideal. It didn't work. Right. Um, so I think my, I'm always like, what about MLK and Malcolm X? Right. Did it work? Right. Sure. And I don't mean that any other way than out of a genuine curiosity. About like, right, was um, the agenda successful? Yeah. Um, and it was two very different approaches. Sure. Um, they are both now not with us. Right. Um, did it work and was that like the right move? And I don't, and it's not about the message. The right. message was clearly right. Right. In both cases. Of course, of course, of course. It's about the methodology. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I think that's a great question. And 
Well, and I think what I would have to say is like we don't have we're not having this conversation right now without MLK and Malcolm X. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so like um, I think right I know that you know that. And so it's like um, uh, you know I think that ultimately you have to say yes, and you also have to say that like um, the work is not always completed in your lifetime. Like. Uh, what the MLK quote is the art, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. justice. Yeah. And so it's like, even that is like, that seems to be a confession from him that it's like, he knew he was starting a work right. that would not be completed in his lifetime. Yeah. Um, and that might not have been, you know, the context or whatever, but I think that it is like, um, you know, we, we participate in a belief system that states that the world is broken and that we are actively, um, you know, sort of working alongside and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reconcile that, you know, yeah. and not that we are in charge of that work and not that it is like that it hangs on us. And if we don't do it, then, you know, everything's bad. But just that, like that is the work we are participating in. And um but because it doesn't hang on us, like, we know that we play a part in it. Some people, I mean, I think, you know, everybody plays an important part in it. Some people's parts look larger or maybe more important in light of the, um, you know, the, the history that we know of the world. And so, like, um, but that, that work is maybe we start it, we plant seeds, and then we don't we don't see them come to fruition if if we get to see them come to fruition we are among the lucky few you know yeah okay i want to pull this i think this is we're in the ideology world right now sure uh, which i think is very important i want to put us back in the practicality okay so because i think if people are listening they could feel a little bit like we got lost in the weeds sure so we were talking about the difference between justice and unity right now sure um so to put like teeth to that mm-hmm. uh i had said this morning Biden and Kamala Harris Mm -hmm. are both speaking about being um, presidents and vice presidents for the whole country. Yeah. And they're dripping with unity language right now. Sure. Yes. Um, I don't think they have a choice about that. I honestly don't. No, I don't think so. Um, I I think I've heard a lot of presidents say things like that right after they were elected. Right. Right. Um, But you sent me a Twitter thing of, of somebody who was sort of rebuking this language from both of them and saying, yeah. um, it, and anyways, my point being this, like I, so I remember when I was listening to Lillian Cunningham's presidential podcast right? and she got to, um, actually it's in the first episode before she gets to Washington, she interviews Bob Woodward. Uh-huh. And one of the things he talks about in judging presidencies and as an example, he gives is Gerald Ford. Uh-huh. And he says, people get so angry that Ford pardoned, Nixon. Right. And he said the reason he did that had nothing to do with him thinking that Nixon should be exonerated. Mm -hmm. He did it because he knew that if he didn't, that's all his presidency would be about for the next four years. And he wanted to get something done. Yeah. Um, And I just think that those sort of pragmatic things are at play in every presidential um, term. And that there are factors that aren't as simple as, well, they need to just do this. And yet... I realize that I'm a future-oriented, results-driven person, and I don't spend a long enough time in the thing. So I don't know if you have anything to say to that. but Well, that was- I do think it's like, you know, I have seen people say like, um, I have seen actually a number of my friends on the internet, on social media, say like, this is not the person I voted for. Meaning Biden? Yes, Joe Biden. Like, this is not the person I voted for. But, I mean, you know, we talked about this yesterday that we were so surprised by the Robert Jeffress reaction. Yeah. That he, Robert Jeffress is the pal- the pastor at First Baptist Dallas, a longtime, very vocal Trump supporter. And uh, he wrote an article. Yeah, it was in Fox, that was Fox on, News. Uh, in Fox News yesterday. Um, and he said, like, uh, Joe Biden is our has been elected to be our president. And I will pray for him in the same way that I prayed for Donald Trump. And I have seen a number of people say, like, this is not the person I voted for. I am nervous about the policies he wants to enact. But also, he is the president. And so... So you're right-leaning people. Yes, okay. yeah. By the way, go back to the Jeffersons. I'm still stunned yeah. <laughs> that they wrote that. Me too. So surprised. And, you know, you can make a bunch of different arguments. Maybe Robert Jeffers is a way better person than we th- like we thought he was. Or maybe, or maybe he's maybe hoping Robert for... A, <laughs> just wants the ear of Joe Biden now. Right. 
right. Yeah. Maybe he's a three. That if he is like the first evangelical to sort of say like, yeah, uh, I endorse Joe Biden, that he'll get some sort of power or something. But I can't. We can't know that. You know, I can't know which one of those things it is. But so I think there's a difference. You know, in um, in someone who says like, I didn't vote for this person, but um, he's the president of the United States. Versus, I mean, I made a decision very early on in 2017 to start calling Donald Trump President Trump because yeah. I didn't vote for him. I was very nervous and scared about the things that he was going to do, but he was the president of this country. Um, and I knew that I could have better conversations with people. You know, at some point, this is a tactical choice. Yeah. That, like, well, you I, know, I had the same decision, but you know who helped me get there? Who? Carrie Fisher. Yeah. And because she said it drove her up the wall when people would call Obama Obama instead of President Obama. Yeah. So she said, I'm going to make a commitment to call President Trump. It's the same thing. Yeah. And um, so I have seen people come out and say that. And I've also seen people who have said, like, well, this is definitely rigged. There's no way Joe Biden is actually going to be the president. Which is like, <laughs> to be fair, I know a lot of people who in 2016 felt that way about Donald Trump, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I think that, you know, the longer that persists and the longer that people are out there saying, like, it's not racism for me to say I want the I like I like segregation laws in my neighborhood. I mean, like that is racism. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and so I think there's a difference between someone who's like listening and said we talked about this yesterday also. Right. Like I. Um, I grew up and I, I'm from Texas. Like I just grew up surrounded by Republicans and I respect them. And I think that there are Republicans who, um, you know, I think a salient thing is like taxation. Like Mm -hmm. we really disagree about taxation. I think trickle down economics has been like proven to not work, but like if, and I don't think it's the way to provide like uh, financial justice for the most amount of people in this country. But I know Republicans who, like, they will come at me and say, like, this is why I think this works, and I think it works, and I want it to work for the most amount of people in our country. And I can respect that. That's a thing I can respect. Um, If someone has good intentions and they are trying to work for the good of this country, like, I want, I want, those are the type of people I want everyone to be, like, working together with, even if you disagree. But if someone is um, intent on spreading racism or homophobia or transphobia and trying to put those things into legislation, I don't... Why would we work with that person? In the we being Christians? Any? Why would anyone... Yeah, in the we being Christians... Well, because like the alt-right has a reason not to. That's why I wanted to specify it. Um, a reason not to what? Sorry. To work towards those things. Sorry, um, it was probably an unnecessary nuance. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, like, why would we work towards those things? Um, you know. So let me press you, though. Okay. Um, I, and, and obviously we know each other well enough to know where we stand, and so this is, this is purely a thought experiment for me. Sure. Um, I agree with that, and I, I like the example of taxation policy as an innocuous example of, well, I can disagree, but we can be, you know, yeah. we'll call that the Mitt Romney policy. Like, we have recognized he's a Republican we could both vote for. Sure. In certain circumstances, no, I don't think I could vote for Mitt Romney, but I, okay. I don't, um, I don't disrespect him. I mean, sure. I, he seems like a nice man. Uh, if he was voted president, that wouldn't be as tragic to you as um, some other people being no, president. I think we've talked about John Kasich, is who we've talked about. Okay, Kasich, fine. Sure. Um, but like we did an episode on abortion. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully, people, if they're want to go back and listen to the range we've offered it and what that means. Right. But for a conservative friend. Mm-hmm. Um, who thinks life begins at conception, mm-hmm. that is as much a non-negotiable worldview and perspective policy for them as you feel about those things. Uh, about which things? About homophobia and um, racism and other things. Yeah, but my view on abortion is also, like, I also feel as passionately about that as I feel about homophobia and... yeah. I agree with that. I I think though, and I am trying to garner the imagination of the whole in this, this in this rhetorical experiment. Uh-huh. If I'm if I'm sitting across the aisle and just thinking, my God, why can't they just see this the same way? 
Uh-huh. And why can't they see that these very basic human values should be celebrated without political? It's because I think that for them, they feel that for what they see as a kind of human life issue in the same way that somebody across the aisle feels about the things we just named. Um, now, I don't expect you to agree with that, but what I'm asking is that you acknowledge that they have that emotion inside of them, that that's what they're feeling about that belief. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay, hold on. I, yeah, I think my response, though, is like, I also feel that. I feel that abortion is a human rights issue for women. Yes. That women can die. Yes. Um, Josh but I'm, no, my, I think my point is, though, is like, it's like, I, I, I don't like when Republicans are turned into straw men or straw women because of what we perceive about the platform. Um, I don't. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel that I've done that. So can you point out the way that I have? No, I'm just saying like, I think for a lot of people on the left, it's like, okay, we're going to boil it down to this. Mm. And it's like, duh, why wouldn't you support this? No, 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 no. Okay. I don't expect them to support the things I support. Okay. Um, they support the things they support. Um, I do like think- to, to, to speak. I wouldn't put taxation in the thing that I put abortion in. Right. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, okay. I think some of it is this for me. I just my whole life have been been told by people in the church that I cannot be a Christian and hold the beliefs that I hold. And that is very, very, very painful. Hmm. And so... I think that sometimes I get it's just like so for just so much of my adult life I have been either silent or like begging people to acknowledge that the things I believe are also rooted in love and care oh yeah and maybe I should let you finish um sorry and so I think that um, I think that right now I hear a lot of Republicans also asking for the same thing. Um, Which thing? For like the the position I just articulated. Yeah. Well, for people, you know, for people on the other side of the aisle, um, to offer mercy and grace and to acknowledge that. The things they care about are rooted in love and justice. Okay. And I think, like I said, there are Republicans who, for whom I know that is true. Um, you know, I have friends for whom I know that is true. They care about people. They want to love them well. Um, and we disagree on how best to do that. Yeah. And, and yet... Still, most of them in their spare time would call Democrats baby killers. Hmm. And. But, well, I'm not going to bring that up. Okay. We'll talk about off the record. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I do think we're getting a little convoluted here. Maybe I'm getting a little personal or in my own. Experience. Well, I do think this is valuable. And I am, if you feel like this is unfair, we can edit it and take it out. Um, I just, I'm interested in having the conversations that are going to be happen in really hard places. Yeah. Um, and just not ignoring them. And I, and I think that these are the conversations that are going to happen. And, and let me say this. I'm not interested in having them just for the sake of this podcast. Right. I ultimately want a kind of change to happen. Yeah. And I have a concern that if we don't think carefully about how to respond in this moment, that could be jeopardized very quickly. Right. Yeah. I think so, too. I think that's fair. So, yeah. I, I do think ultimately at the end of the day, the thing me and you are responsible for is like, ourselves our own lives and obviously uh, you know our congregation the people of our congregation and how to love them and how to love them well and so um you know i think some of that some of this is bigger than some not bigger but um isn't necessarily directly pertinent except that we have to decide some things before we offer care to people do you know what i mean sure um yeah, and I mean, I don't want to simplify this, and maybe we haven't said enough of, about this to make sense of people listening, but I think, in general, I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself. 
I think I am guilty right now of getting too far into the future mm-hmm. and worrying about solutions that aren't maybe on the table right now. Sure. Or problems that aren't even on the table. Yeah. I do. I think I'm going to be pretty accurate in predicting them, but <laughs> instead of giving the moment the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. Well, and I do think it's like... Um, I I took I wasn't it was like you know they called it at what ten thirty ten fifteen ten thirty which 1045. which call the um, Pennsylvania Joe oh, Biden's on Saturday over morning two seventy yeah yeah about ten thirty um I think it was eight p.m. before my body could like believe that that was a true thing that had happened mm-hmm. um, and I'd imagine that there are for some people obviously who have um, experience the world with not all of the privilege that I have as a white woman um, there are some people for whom it maybe is their body still hasn't accepted the information you know yeah because of the sort of pain yep. and trauma that mm-hmm. they have experienced over the course of the last four years five years over the course of their entire lifetime probably and so I do think that this is a place where it's probably important to stand in front of people and receive them where they are. Um, and of course, that, and this is what we talked about with the prophets yesterday, right? Um, we all have different gifts, you know? Yeah. We're not all prophets. And so um, there are so many different types of people that exist and that are necessary to make um the world work and to make good things happen and we don't all have to you know we don't all have to agree to move forward in the same way or have the exact same plan um or the same sort of like um path (laughs) i was gonna say path of attack but that seems like the wrong word to use but you know we don't all have to have the same sense of how to approach the moment. Yeah, how to approach the moment. What makes sense to me might not make sense to you. Um, it, might, it might not be authentic to who you are. And um, so you shouldn't do the same thing I do just because I do it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and all I can be responsible for is my own actions and how I choose to proclaim the truth and speak justice into action and love people well and create unity as far as I can, you know? And um, I think that looks different in every person. And I think that I hope as a country, I hope as, you know, individuals, me and you, I hope as a congregation that UBC will sort of you know, we all will pause and think best about how to move forward. And I, and I don't think we're, I don't think the United States is a people very good at pausing. So we'll see what happens. No, that's true. And certainly like, you know, they've already got transition campaigns, transition teams going and stuff like that. So I just hope. um, Well, and to acknowledge one other thing, it's not clear that the next two, three months are going to be smooth at all. No. And so, yeah. Certainly not clear. If, if there's a peaceful transition, I wonder if this conversation feels different then. If there's a yeah. sort of messy. And there's like a deeper sigh of relief for folks for whom want that relief. Yeah. Which that is also, and that is also an interesting conversation is well, how do we move forward? I think that the main thing is, is, um, ABC News, CNN, fact, they're all waiting for us to call that too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So once we release this, we can really move into a different, um, you know, season because everyone will know that we've called it and that's what's most important. Well, I sure appreciate you. Um, I, um, I think this conversation did what I hoped. Those last good. few things you said were very pastoral for me and I hope for everybody listening oh, and, and a good word. Um, so I think... I can feel good about where this went, and hopefully you do too. I do, and I'm always thankful for you as a willing conversation partner. It's crazy how you never get mad. Me? Yeah. I don't feel like you get mad either. 
we've gotten mad at each other, but now I think we we're, have, we have we're mad so at comfortable each other. getting mad yeah. that I remember the one time you didn't come to the office the second half of the day because you didn't want to see me and you told me. No, I did came, but I thought about not coming. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, but I told you that I, you probably remember that because I said to you, I almost didn't come back to the office that because I was so mad at you. is a discovery I've made recently with Risa. Well, I knew, but I confess out loud is that my most intimate relationships are the ones where I'm willing to fight with people. Yeah. So if we've never fought, you should be suspicious of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just that. Eh, yeah, we, we really don't have intimacy here if we haven't fought. It's because yeah. I don't feel safe enough to fight with them. Yeah, of course. But I do value you as a conversation partner. I feel like you always push me, and it's never because it's never like devil's advocacy. It's always something you care about, and so yeah. I'm thankful for that. Well, like I've said, you've saved my career multiple times <laughs> as my press secretary. So. <laughs> Thank you, CJ Craig. Oh, stop. That's too nice. I love CJ Craig. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. We will hear from you next week, or you will hear from us if you keep tuning in. Bye.